Okay, welcome back everybody. I'm Roderick Z or Roderick Zed if I live in Canada. Dry joke for you. Today I'm going to be reading three stories from Native American legends. And I love Native American legends. I'm sure you do too. But before I begin, I want to acknowledge, formally acknowledge the land in which I am standing on, the land in which this home I'm living in, or this, yeah, this home I'm living in stands on. And this is the Nissanen land. So they're the natives of the Sacramento area, often misunderstood as the Maidu people, but it's undoubtedly the Nissanen. Now the Nissanen still dwell in Northern California, predominantly in the, in Nevada city, where they petitioned to get their land returned to them in 2015. But because of some ranchero laws, which I'm not sure how they work exactly, they were denied. They were denied the getting their land returned to them. So let's just uh, send thoughts, prayers, and good energy to the Nissanen so that they can get their land and continue cultivating it the way their ancestors did for thousands of years. So I formally acknowledge this land and the Nissanen people. And I offer my tribute to the Cherokee and to the indigenous people of all of North America. So now I'm going to read this, the first story about the Milky Way. And it's called How the Milky Way Came to Be. A long time ago in the Cherokee country, when the sky was all clear at night, except for a few stars, there lived an old man and an old woman who made their living by beating meal and selling it to the other villagers for meat and skins. Then one late one year late in the fall, they noticed that something had been stealing some of their meal at night. They became alarmed because they knew that none of the villagers would steal their meal. They looked around the house and then around the meal pounding places and finally found the track of a giant dog. Then they looked at the track. They became afraid because they had never seen such a big dog track before. They thought about the size of the track and discussed the theft of the meal all day, but did not decide to do anything about it that day. That night, the, the meal again disappeared. So the next day, the old people called a meeting or a family council to see what was to be done about the giant dog. Now, one and then another rose to speak and tell what he would do with the dog, but always the family disapproved because everyone was afraid of hurting a dog that undoubtedly was from another world. At last, the old ones had said that he thought everyone should bring noisemakers to the house in which he lived. Then that night, they could all hide around the meal beaters and wait for the giant dog. When a giant dog came, they could all rise up and beat their drums and rattles and shout a great deal so that the dog would become so frightened he would never come to the Cherokee country again. The family, the family was very happy because they knew that the old one had found a way to rid them of the thief. When the stars were bright and Sister Moon had made her way across the sky vault, the dog was seen by the family approaching from the west. He was a great dog in size, and his coat shone silver in the moonlight. When he came to the meal pounders, he began to eat the meal in great gulps, so that the old one was afraid 
but he finally gave a shout as a signal to all the family. They all rose and began making a tremendous lot of noise. They shouted and shook their rattles and pounded the drums until all the noise rolled up to the mountains like a great thunder. The dog hearing all this became frightened and confused so that he ran around the circle of the shouting people. He gave a great leap into the sky and the mule pouring out of his mouth made a white trail across the sky. That is where we can see the Milky Way. When a Cherokee called to this day, where the dog ran. Pretty cool. Not bad for a first story. All right, I really enjoyed that first story about the Milky Way. So now I'm going to talk about fire and elements because the story I'm going to read now is called The First Fire. And as you know, as you may know, every ancient culture and indigenous cultures, they all have stories and myths surrounded by elements, by fire, by water, by earth. And in a lot of cultures, these elements are kind of considered like gods, you know, not like the creator of the universe type of gods, like we typically use in the Judeo-Christian West, but they're, you know, they're, they're just like beings that have a sense of life to them that are somewhat tangible. And of course, fire is alive indeed, just like the animals. It just has a different sense of life to it. Water is alive, as we know. If you ever read the Dr. Emoto book, I think it's called um, The Messages in the Water, has pictures of these intricate crystalline shapes due from the vibration of sound, voices, and music and what it creates on the water. Just gives more proof how living these things are. So anyway, just wanted to, just wanted to throw that thought out there for a little bit. So I'm going to go ahead and read this story, The First Fire. In the beginning, there was no fire, and the world was cold until the thunders Anihiyuntikwala, who lived up in the Galunati, sent their lightning and put fire into the bottom of a hollow sycamore tree which grew on an island. The animals knew it was there because they could see the smoke coming out of the top, but they could never get to it on account of the water. So they held a council to decide what to do. This was a long time ago. Every animal could fly or swim was anxious to go after the fire. The raven offered, and because he was so large and strong, he thought he can surely do the work. So he was sent first. He flew high and far across the water and alighted on the sycamore tree. But while he was wondering what to do next, the heat had scorched all his feathers black. And he was frightened, and he came back without fire. The little screech owl, Wahoohoo, volunteered to go and reach the place safely. But while he was looking down into the hollow tree, a blast of hot air came up and nearly burned out his eyes. He managed to fly home as best he could, but it was a long time before he could see well, and his eyes are his eyes are red to this day. Then the hooting owl. Uguku and the horned owl, Skilili, went. But by this time they got to the hollow tree, the fire was burned so fiercely 
that the smoke nearly blinded them, and the ashes carried up by the wind made white rings about their eyes. They had to come home again without the fire, but with all their rubbing, they were never able to get rid of the white rings. Now, no more of the birds would venture, and so the little Ushuhi snake, the black racer, said he would go through the water and bring back some fire. He swam across to the island and crawled through the grass to the trees, and he went in by a small hole at the bottom. The heat and smoke were too much for him, too, after dodging about blindly over the hot ashes until he was almost on fire himself. He managed by good luck to get out again at the same hole, but his body had been scorched black, and he has ever since had the habit of darting and doubling on his tracks as if trying to escape some close quarters. He came back in a great black snake Guliki, the climber, offered to go for the fire. He swam over to the island and climbed up the tree on the outside, as black snakes always does. But when he put his head down into the hole, the smoke choked him so that he fell into the burning stump. And before he can climb out again, he was as black as the Usukihi. Now they held another council. For there still was no fire, and the world was cold. But birds, snakes, and four-footed animals all had some excuse for not going, because they were all afraid to venture near the burning sycamore, until at last, Kanananiski, Amahabayehe, the water spider, said she would go. This is not the water spider that looks like a mosquito, but the other one with the black downy hair and red stripes on her body. She can run on top of the water and dive to the bottom, so there was no trouble to get into the island. But the question was, how could she bring back the fire? I'll manage that, said the water spider. So she spun a thread from her body and wove it into a toasty bowl, which she had fastened on her back. Then she crossed over to the island and through the grass to where the fire was still burning. She put one little coal of fire into her bowl, and the water spider still keeps the toasty bowl. The end. It's pretty amazing, actually. It's like I'm rooting for the water spider. One last story for you, and this story is called The Fall of the Spider-Man. And I don't, I have not read this one, but I doubt it's about Marvel character Spider-Man from Stan Lee. <laughs> Although that would be pretty cool. But um, this story comes from the Canadian, Canadian Native Americans. It's not actually a Cherokee story. I know I said I was going to read Cherokee stories, but um, <clears throat> as it turns out, I happen to have here in my materials this story, so I want to read it for you. The Fall of the Spider-Man In olden times, the Spider-Man lived in the sky country. He dwelt in a bright little house all by himself, where he weaved webs and long flimsy ladders by which people went back and forth from the sky to the earth. 
The star people often went at night to earth where they roamed about as fairies of light, doing good deeds for women and little children. And they always went back and forth in a ladder of the Spider-Man. The Spider-Man had to work very hard, weaving his webs and spinning the yarn from which the, his ladders were made. One day, when he had a short breathing time from his toil, he looked down at the earth country and there he saw many of the earth people playing games or taking sweet sap from the maple trees or gathering berries on rolling hills. But most of the men were lazily idling and doing nothing. The women were all working after the fashion of the natives in those days. The men were working but little. And Spider-Man said to himself, I should like to go to earth country where men idle their time away. I would marry four wives who would work for me while I would take life easy. I need a rest. He was very tired from his work, but he was kept at it day and night, always spinning and weaving his webs. But when he asked for a rest, he was not allowed to stop. He was only kicked for his pains and called sleepyhead and lazy bones and other harsh names and told to work harder. He grew angry and he resolved to punish the star people because they kept him so hard at work. He thought that if he punished him and made, his, and made himself a nuisance, they would be glad to get to be rid of him. So he hit upon a crafty plan. Each night when a star fairy was climbing back to the sky country, just as he came near the top of the ladder, the Spider-Man would cut the strands and the fairies would fall to earth with a great crash. Night after night, he did this, and he chuckled to himself as he saw the fairy sprawling through the air and kicking their heels while, while the earth people looked up wondering at them and called them shooting stars. Many, many star people fell to earth in this way because of the Spider-Man's tricks and they can never get back to the sky country because of their broken limbs or their disfigured faces. For in a sky country, all people must have beautiful faces and forms. But Spider-Man's tricks brought him no good. That people would not drive him away because they needed his webs and he was kept always at his task. At last, he decided to run away on his own accord. And one night, when the moon and the stars had gone to work and the sun was asleep, he said farewell to the sky country and he let himself down to earth on one of his strands of yarn, spinning it as he dropped down. In the earth country, he married four wives as he had planned, for he wanted them to work for him while he took his ease. He thought he had worked long enough all went well for a time and Spider-Man was quite happy living his lazy and contented life. Not a strand did he spin, nor a web did he weave. No men on earth were working, only the women toiled. At last, Glutskop, who ruled upon the earth in that time, became very angry because the men in these parts were so lazy and he sent famine into their country to punish them for their sins. Famine came very stealthily into the land and gathered up all the corn and carried it off. Then he called to him all the animals and the birds and the fish of the sea and the river 
and he took them with him. In all the land, there was nothing left to eat. Only water remained. The people were very hungry, and they lived on water for many days. Sometimes they drank the water cold, sometimes hot, sometimes lukewarm, but at best it was poor fare. The Spider-Man soon grew tired of this strange diet, for, he did, for it did not satisfy his hunger to live always on water. It filled his belly and swelled him to a great size, but it brought him little nourishment or strength. So he said, there must be some good food somewhere in this world. I will go search for it. That night, when all the world was asleep, he took a large bag and crept softly away from his four wives and set out for his quest for food. He did not want anyone to know where he was going. For several days, he traveled living only on water, but he found no food and the bag was still empty on his back. At last, one day he saw birds in the trees, and he knew that he was near the border of the Hungerland. That night in the forest, when, when he stopped at the stream to drink, he saw a tiny gleam of light far ahead of him through the trees. He hurried towards the light, and soon he came upon a man with a great hump on his shoulders and scars on his face, and a light hanging at his back, with a shade on it, where he could close and open at will. The Spider-Man said, I am looking for food. Tell me where I can find it. And the humped man with his light said, Do you want it for your people? But the Spider-Man said, No, I want it for myself. Then the humped man laughed and said, You are near the border of the land of plenty. Follow me and I will give you food. Then he flashed the light on his back, opening and closing the shade so that the light flickered and he set off quickly through the trees. The Spider-Man followed the light flashing in the darkness, but he had to go fast, for he was almost out of breath when he reached the house where the humped man had stopped. But the humped man only laughed when he saw the Spider-Man coming, puffing wearily along with his fat and swollen belly. He gave him a good fat meal, and the Spider-Man soon felt better after his long fast. Then the hump man said, You're the Spider-Man who once weaved webs in the sky. I too once dwelled in a star country, and one dark night, as I was climbing back from the earth country on your ladder, carrying my lamp on my back to light the way, when I was near the sky, you cut the strands of the web, and I fell to the earth with a great crash. That is why I have a great hump on my back and scars on my face. And because of this, I have never been allowed to go back to the sky country of the stars. I roamed the earth at night as a forest fairy, just as I did in the olden days, for I have my former power still with me, and I still carry my light, my lamp on my back. It is the starlight for in the sky country. I shall never get back to the star country while I have life. But someday, when the work on earth is done, I shall go back. But although you were cruel to me, I will give you food. The Spider-Man remembered the nights that he had cut the ladder strands, and he laughed to himself at the memory of the star fairies falling to earth with a great crash. But the man with the light knew that he now had his chance to take vengeance on his Spider-Man. 
the latter did not suspect evil. He was glad to get food at last. Then the humped man said, I will give you four pots. You must not open them until you get home. They will be then filled with food and thereafter always. When you open them, they will be packed with good food and the food will never grow less. The Spider-Man put the four pots on his bag and slinging it over his shoulder, he set off for his home, well pleased with his success. After he had gone away, the humped man used his power to make him hungry. Yet for several days, he traveled without opening the pots. For although he was almost starving, he wished to do as the humped man had told him. And last, he could wait no longer. He stopped near his home, took the pots out of the bag, and opened them. They were filled with good food, as he had promised. And one was a fine meat stew. And another were many cooked vegetables. And another was bread made from native corn. And in another was luscious ripe fruit. He ate until he was full. He covered the pots, put them back in his bag, and he hid the bag among the trees. Then he went home. He had meanwhile taken pity on his people, and he decided to invite the chief and all the tribe to a feast the next evening. For the pots will be full, and the food will never decrease, and there will be enough for all. He thought the people would regard him as a very powerful man if he had if he could supply them with all the food. The good food for their hunger, that is. When he reached his home, his wives were very glad to see him back, and they at once bought him water, the only food that they had. But he laughed them to scorn, and he threw the water in their faces and said, Oh, foolish women, I do not want water. It is not food for a great man like me. I've had a good meal of meat stew and corn and bread and cooked vegetables and luscious ripe fruit. I know where much food is to be found, but I alone know. I can find food when all others fail, for I am a great man. Go forth and invite the chief and all the people to a feast which I shall provide for them. Tomorrow, tomorrow night, a feast for all the land, for my food never grows less. They were all amazed when they heard the story, and the thought of the good, the good meal greatly added to their hunger. But they went out and summoned all the tribe to a feast, as he had told them. The next night all the people gathered for the feast, for the news of it had spread through all the land. They had taken no water that day, for they wished to eat well, and they were very hungry. They were as hungry as wild beasts in search for food. The Spider-Man was very glad because the people praised him, and he proudly brought his bag of pots. The people all waited hungrily and eagerly but when he uncovered the first pot there was no food there he uncovered the second pot but there was no food there he uncovered all the pots but not a bit of food was in any of them they were all empty and in the bottom of each was a great gaping hole now it had happened in this way when the humped man, the star fairy, had given the pots to the Spider-Man, he knew well that the Spider-Man would disobey all his orders, and he would open the pots before he reached home. 
He chuckled to himself, for he knew that now he could take vengeance on the web weaver who had injured him. So when a Spider-Man had left the pots among the trees, the humped man used his magic powers, and he made the holes in the pots, and the charm of the food was broken, and all the food disappeared. When the people saw the, the empty pots, they thought that they had been purposely deceived. The remains of the food and the smell of stew and the fruit still clung to the pots. They thought the Spider-Man had eaten all the food himself. So in their great hunger and their rage and their disappointment, they fell upon him and beat him and bore him to the ground. While the humped man with a lamp at his back hiding behind the trees looked and laughed in his glee. Then the people split the Spider-Man's arms to his shoulders and his legs to his thighs, so that he had eight limbs instead of four. And the hump man, the star fairy named Firefly, came forth from behind the trees and standing over the fallen Spider-Man, he said, Henceforth, because of your cruelty to the star people, you will always crawl on eight legs and you will have a fat round belly because of your water you have drunk, and sometimes you will live on top of water, but you shall always eat only flies and insects, and you will always spin downwards but never upwards, and you will often try to get back to the star country, but you shall always slip down again on a strand of yarn you have spun. Then Firefly flashes light and went quickly away, opening and closing the shade of his lamp as he flitted along the trees. And to this day, the Spider-Man lives as the humped man of the lamp had spoken. Because of the cruelty he had practiced on the star fairies in the olden days. Well, that is the legend of the Spider-Man. And now we know where spiders come from. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed this episode. And thank you very, very much for listening to The Far Side at Midnight. I really appreciate all the support and the new listeners to this channel or this podcast, I should say. Um, one more annou one announcement. So I have, as I may have said before, I have a live event coming up on the 24th at 7 p.m. on Facebook where I will be reading and taking requests. So please stop by on that day. It's going to be on a Friday, I believe, on Facebook, The Far Side of Midnight. And thank you so much. And I will see you next time. Be well. <laughs>